Welcome to Fearless Mom. I am so excited to get this series started. Today, we kick off 2019 with our new series, Prep School. Prep School, everybody say prep school. You know, I love it when what I'm studying and what I'm teaching here so connects with what I'm experiencing at home. I'm actually not sure my children love that, but I love that. For instance, Emily, poor Emily, bless her heart, when I am studying something like prep school and teaching independence and teaching grit, it's possible that perhaps my enthusiasm for what I'm teaching and my enthusiasm about testing my teaching theories is then combined with maybe a little bit of mom guilt. And my pendulum swings and let's just say I may get overzealous in my parenting style. So Emily, our daughter who is 24, may text me and say, hey mom, which shoes should I wear with this outfit? You know, and send me a picture. I reply, you are old enough to make your decisions on your own. You're an independent, strong, competent adult. Um, you need to be more independent. I am letting go, okay? Yeah, <laughs> I would love to say that that is a hypothetical. I have literally done that. And Emily, like, you know, with the <laughs> little things on the um, iMessage, she'll just send back a little question mark on it. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I was just neck deep in an article that was making me feel real guilty about the way I parented. <laughs> and so my poor children, Emily's in the room, so Emily, I apologize, okay? And I apologize in advance because sometimes when my pendulum swings so far, it takes a while for it to get back. And Joseph, if you're listening, I apologize to you too. I probably did the same. One time, Emily literally said to me, she sent me a, a, a link to an Amazon thing for nail polish. Mom, do you think this is too much? My literal response was, I think you can make that decision. Yeah, I mean, would you ever do that? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But you know what, it's an exciting topic and sometimes I get a little too excited about it. And sometimes you do too and that's okay. And so today we start prep school about preparing our children. But before we do that, we wanna welcome in our online moms. If you are watching or listening um, with a group at a church or in a home, or if you're watching by yourself. You know what? Special shout out for all you moms who are locked in a closet or a bathroom right now watching by yourself. You may be watching or listening by yourself, but you are not alone. There's a group in Austin cheering you on. We are for you and we are with you and we believe in you. And good news, we don't know what we're doing either, but we are all working to be the best that we can be. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the gift, the responsibility, the um, partnership with you of motherhood. We ask right now, God, that you settle our hearts and minds, that you open our eyes and ears so that we can see and hear everything you want us to see and hear today, so that we can be the moms we were created to be, to raise up our children to be who you created them to be. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. amen, amen. Now, my I'm from Mississippi, and my sisters both live in Mississippi, and they, um, everybody in our family has a boy and a girl. And so my younger sister's kids go to Jackson Prep. They, JP, they go to Jackson Prep Academy, and it's actually Jackson Preparatory Academy. It is a prep school. And what is a prep school? 
A prep school is actually, they have just decided our focus is to prepare these children for college. It's literally called Jackson Preparatory School. It is to prepare them academically, athletically, artistically, socially, to prepare them for college. That's what a prep school is. By definition, by its name, it says our job is to prepare them for college. If you use that definition, then home could be considered a prep school. Home is just like Jackson Prep is preparing kids for college. Home is preparing kids for life. My job as a mom, your job as a mom, your responsibility as a parent is to prepare your kids for life. When you consider the overwhelming responsibility of motherhood, we say around here, the appropriate response is throw up in your mouth a little bit. And that's okay because it is a big deal. But the good news is you don't have to do it by yourself. The good news is that God doesn't ever command perfection, but he does command participation. So our responsibility is to do our best to set our kids up for their best. And our home is a prep school. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're principal of a prep school. Yeah, you are principal of a prep school. To understand this, to embrace this, we all have to get our minds around what our parenting goal really is. My parenting goal, your parenting goal. You see, if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, then we can get bogged down in the myriad of decisions and choices that we make. And we start reading blogs and watching you know, uh, videos. And we start you know, getting books and friends recommend this one and that one. And it is so overwhelming. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a step back. We're going to fix our focus on the parenting goal. So whether your child is 13 days old, 13 weeks old, 13 months, years, 33 years. My kids are 24 and 22. I still need to be reminded of the parenting goal. I still sometimes get so bogged down in this decision that I need to be reminded to pick my head up and say, what's my goal? My goal, if I'm going to run this prep school the way that I'm supposed to, because even though my kids are out of the house, how many of you know, once you're mom, you're always a mom. And so I have to remind myself that my parenting goal is independent, competent, strong, adult children. My responsibility, my goal is to raise my children to be independent adults. My goal is my child's independence. Your goal is your child's independence. If you have a special needs child, you add another layer in. You have to say, okay, I have to be in such communication with my child's physician, with my child's counselor, with my child's educators that I go, how independent can my child be? And now I work toward that goal, maximum independence. And so if you have a child that you're saying, I don't know what independence looks like, figure it out. Because you need to know what you're working toward. You need to know where you're going. And so my job is to raise independent adults. Your job is to raise independent adults. If you have a newborn, don't get worried about it right now. It does happen gradually, okay? But here's the deal. Think about it physically. I'm holding my baby close to me. That is my responsibility. Then I hold hands and I walk alongside them. Next, I walk beside them and I point them in the you know, correct direction. Then last, I wave. See ya, good luck, I love you. I can't wait to see you at Christmas. What is true physically is also true socially, emotionally. Do you see what I'm saying? Academically, we let go gradually. Same 
brace yourselves, financially. We let go gradually so that independence is achieved, whatever independence looks like for your child. But my job, your job, is to raise strong, independent, competent adult children. Don't worry if you can't picture your child as an adult right now. But you do need to start parenting that way with that in mind. There's no such thing as starting too early. There's no such thing as shifting your mindset to say, what am I doing anyway? Because that will help you make all of those decisions. And there's no such thing as too late to turn the ship. Now, it's easier if you set the ship on the right course immediately. But hey, God is with you and God has a plan and he can certainly help you if you are saying, well, I'm farther down the road. I didn't do this in the beginning. It's time to turn the ship. No such thing as too early or too late. Now, recent studies show that college freshmen, it's not just freshmen, college campuses are dealing with more anxiety, more depression. As a matter of fact, there was a guy who studied college campuses and he said, that kids on college campuses, young adults on college campuses are more emotionally fragile than ever before. And it's not just about handling the big things. He's saying that kids are not equipped. College staffs, the administrators on the uh, campus, the counseling centers on the campus, they're saying these young adults are not equipped to handle everyday problems, like a struggle with a roommate or failing a test or not getting the class they wanted. It's the little things that they don't know how to handle. Our responsibility in Fearless Mom is to say, okay, this is a trend. This is what's happening. Is there anything I can do to change that? Is there anything I can do now to prepare my child to avoid emotional fragility? As a matter of fact, I don't want my kid to be emotionally fragile. Are there choices I can make and actions I can take that can build my kid's emotional strength? We're all about building physical strength. We'll you know, put them in every class and we'll drive them all over you know, 10 buck two for a soccer tournament or a baseball tournament or whatever. But as much as you're focusing on physical development, how are we preparing our children emotionally? Because you know what? The truth is you cannot separate academic achievement from emotional health. You can't, it's intertwined. You can't separate physical growth from emotional growth. It all goes together. So we're gonna look at what can we do to build our kids' emotional strength, our, um, their emotional resilience. My job, I cannot, I can't predict the hurts my child will face. I can't prevent the heartaches my child will feel. But I can, everybody say, I can I can prepare my child for whatever he or she will face. That's my job. I want to go in and and fix it so they never hurt or they never have a heartache, but you and I both know that they will. So what can we do about it? We prepare them. We work hard. We do the work. We do the research and say, you know what? I, there are things I can do, choices I can make, and actions I can take to build my kids' emotional strength, and that's what we're gonna do. We talk about emotional resilience and emotional strength. I use those interchangeably. Some people will say those are two different things. I use the term emotional resilience. You're gonna bend and not break. That's what resilience means, you can bounce back. I use emotional strength the same. Some people will say, no, you don't wanna be strong because then you break. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm using those interchangeably because I believe strength means resilience. So for me, I'm gonna use those um, interchangeably. Angela Duckworth, um, 
is a psychology professor at the University of Pennsylvania. You may have heard her name. She wrote the book Grit. She observed when she was a middle school teacher prior to writing her book, prior to being in psychology at the school, at the university, she observed that those students who tried harder, those students who were not as easily discouraged actually performed better. They were higher achieving. So she had a theory. Is work ethic or effort as important or more important than natural gifting or intelligence. And she actually found, and really she echoed what Carol Dweck, um, who invented, you know, who coined the term growth mindset, she echoed what she said, that the best thing we can do for our kids is to empower them and to teach them and to build in them effort to build in them tenacity, to build in them the strength to carry on when discouraged. She said, this is her definition of grit. Everybody say grit. grit. Yeah, I cannot help but think of John Wayne. Grit, true grit, in case y'all are wondering. Um, passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Willingness to work hard and make your desired future a reality having the stamina to stick with it despite the struggle. Isn't that a great definition? Don't you want that? Don't you want your kids to have that? Look at Romans, I mean Galatians 6, 9. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Don't give up. Grit is required for the successful, the fulfilled life. Grit is required. If I know grit is required, if I know that would set my kid up for a better life, remember my job is to do my best to set my kid up for his best. If I know that grit makes his life better, then I'm gonna study it and I'm gonna figure out what I can do to make that a part of his life. Because if we look at why do we need grit? Grit improves our physical development. It requires grit to stick with exercise, to stick with walking, running, um, athletics, to get better at something. Uh, it helps our emotional development. We're gonna talk about this at the end of the semester, empowering kids to identify, process, express, and overcome. So you have to have grit to overcome those feelings and emotions. Um, our intellectual development, our kids' academic achievement. I mean, she did the work in the study and she said absolutely there is a correlation between grit and academic achievement. And not only, there are other studies that say there's a correlation between grit and happiness and fulfillment. And then social development. We all hit bumps in our friendships and we have to learn how to persevere. We have to have grit to stick it out. Spiritual development. There are times in my spiritual life when I didn't feel like God was with me, but I know, and so I have grit. I know that God's promises are always true. So grit is required for every area of life. It helps everything. Here's the good news. It can be taught. Yes, there are some people, we've studied self-control before, and yes, there are some people who are born with a nature that is just more tenacious, but everyone can learn it, and it can be developed in everyone. If I know that, then I've gotta look at myself first. As mom, I have to evaluate, what do I need to shift in my thinking so that I can empower my child with grit? There are three things, they're not in your notes, so listen carefully. Number one, I must get comfortable with my child's being uncomfortable. 
I must get comfortable with my child's being uncomfortable. I can't be afraid of my child's failure, discomfort, or struggle. I have to see that as opportunity for growth. Here's the thing about discomfort and struggle. Our nature as moms is to rescue, is to, is to fix it, is to protect, is to provide. That's awesome. But sometimes we have to fight that if we believe there's value in that struggle. When your child is a baby and is trying to roll over, you don't push it over, you watch it, you cheer them on until they roll over. When your baby's trying to crawl, you cheer them on, you hold something out in front of them. Emily learned to walk with a Cheeto. Uh-huh, genetics. She's such a Richard, just kidding. That would definitely be my side of the family. She learned to walk toward a Cheeto, but I watched her fall a lot of times. I understood that was part of the process of learning to walk. Now you take that and apply it to middle school academic struggle or social trouble or spiritual challenges. You see, we see the value here, but we need to apply that same value here and understand that I have to get comfortable with my child's discomfort and understand that that is part of growth, that is part of struggle. Second, I have to put my child's needs above my wants. I have to put my child's needs above my wants. This is not always clear, and I would encourage everyone to read Proverbs and attach it to what you're learning. Parenting requires wisdom and discernment and common sense. And God promises it. And the more you read Proverbs, the more you, you hear his promises and you see how to apply wisdom and discernment and how it applies to being a mom. And so when we talk about this, there's no blanket. People always say, well, at what age? No, I can't do that. You know your kid, you know your situation. But challenge yourself to let go as early as possible. Um, but I have to put my child's needs above my wants. There is an author, um, Jessica Leahy, and she wrote The Gift of Failure. And she says that most parents, most parents agree with the concept that there's value in struggle. That most parents believe that our kids are better off when we allow them to struggle. We trust that that is true, we know it to be true, until we see our child cry. And we don't like that, and that's natural. And that's appropriate. I would worry about you if you smiled when your child cried, you know? It is appropriate to be upset when our kids are upset. But when I remember there's value in the struggle, when I remember I have to separate, you know, my wants from my child's needs, I'm more likely to allow them to fix it themselves. I'm more likely to allow them to suffer the natural consequences of forgetting their homework or the natural consequences of forgetting their lunch, you know? And because I know that perhaps we could work together when they come home today and we'll work on a plan to help prevent that next time. And so I have to put my child's, needs above my wants. So Jessica says that everybody um, agrees with that. And when she wrote the, her book, she was actually a mother of a middle schooler um, at the same time. So she was studying this and doing this at the very same time. And so she put on her Facebook, for those of you who think this whole letting my kids mess up thing is easy, know this. One of my sons left his homework assignment on the living room table, completed in a timely and neat fashion. I have to go to his school anyway to drop something off. 
leaving that homework on the table, knowing it will cost him today, is killing me. I've looked at it 20 times. I even picked it up once, but there it is, and there it will stay, waiting for him to see it when he gets home and realizes what he could have done to make sure that his homework made it into his backpack in his teacher's hands. She got most positive, mostly positive response, except for this one mom. I don't know why people feel so free to... You know, anyway, um, I admire you greatly. You know there's a butt coming. I admire you greatly, but I could not do this. I forget things every day. I have driven things to my husband's office that he has left on the kitchen counter. I think a certain level of distraction is inevitable in our lives, no matter how hard we try. And high school kids are the most overwhelmed by it. I would be so happy that the homework was done, on time, neat and ready, that unless I was unable to do so, I would take it to the school. I would save my consequences for homework that was not done and was not done well. You read that and you're like, oh, she has a point. She has a point. You know, I would do that for a friend. I would do that for my husband. My husband never forgives anything, but he's always doing that for me and forever, I'm forever grateful. After working through this, so Angela said, you know, I mean, no, it's not Angela. Jessica said, you know what? Maybe I would. I would take that to a friend. Then she sent this response. Brilliant. She thought, you know, why am I treating my child different than I'm treating my friends? Because I'm not raising those other people. <laughs> I treat my children differently because I have a greater responsibility to them than to make them happy and grateful for my love and support. In order to raise competent, capable adults, I have to love them enough to put their learning above my happiness. You see, I mean, yeah, kudos to Jessica. Because let me tell you, I have said, well, I mean, I'm not coming up to the school, but I was going by the cleaners, which is right by the school. And so, yes, and my kids were gifted. I mean, they knew the language. Mom, um, this is Joseph. And Joseph rarely forgot anything. I know it was my responsibility. And I understand if you do not have time because I know you're busy. I'm like, mm, this well played, buddy, well played. But is there any way you could bring my physics folder by the school if you're in the area? And I said, you know what I did? Rarely did I do this. But at this point, I was grieving because Emily had gone off to college. So cut me a little slack, okay? So I thought, I'll do it. I'm gonna take it to him. I said, I'll try. I'll let you know. I wasn't gonna commit to anything. So I'm like, I'm going to the cleaners. Asterisk. I did not mention this to Mac <laughs> until after the fact. And so I pull into the high school and I walk in. Literally, the lady at the front desk goes, oh, you're Julie Richard. We go to Lake Hills Church. I was just telling somebody that you guys never bail your kids out. I can't believe you're up here. I've said you guys are amazing. I've never met you because you never bring stuff up for your kids. I'm holding his physics folder in my hand. I literally threw it down and ran out. Nice to meet you. I texted him. I'm like, buddy, you're gonna have to look around the office. It's in there somewhere. I mean, seriously, this is easier said than done, but it is necessary. I had to call and confess to Mac. I mean, it was terrible. And talk about stuff that I like to do as a mom. I like to do laundry. I like it done a certain way. And so I like to do it. And 
Max said when Joe was in middle school and his football and basketball clothes stunk to high heaven, he said, Joe needs to be doing his own laundry. And I go, oh, wait, I do laundry around here. I like it and it all smells the same because I do it the same way for everybody. And Max said, that is interesting. You know his line and irrelevant. He said, it's not about you and what you want. It's about Joe and what he needs. I said, get out of here, mind your own business, okay? <laughs> no, <laughs> just kidding. I had to teach Joe how to do his own laundry. It was like a serious grieving moment for me because for me, I knew he was gonna grow up and leave and I would never be able to do his laundry again and there was a time when I would miss it, but it wasn't about me. My responsibility is to prepare him for independence. It's not to make me feel good. Now, sometimes it works out where I can work in both, <laughs> but my job is independence. And sometimes it's easier said than done. And the third thing you have to do, what did I say? We said we had to get comfortable with my child's being uncomfortable, put my child's needs above my wants, and I have to separate my child's identity from my own. It's super important that we understand that our kids are not us and that their decisions are their decisions and my decisions are mine. Our kids will make mistakes. And you know what? My concern was always, everybody's gonna think I'm a terrible mom. And guess what? It's not about, my job is not to convince everyone that I'm the best mom in the world. My job is to set, to do my best, to set my kid up for his best. And what do other people think? That's their business. That's their business. I have to take a step back, pick my chin up and go, what's my parenting goal? Independence, my child's independence. So I'm gonna do everything I can. It requires a lot, everybody say a lot a lot of wisdom and discernment. So struggle, there's value in the struggle. Let's look at the definition. To strive, it's in your notes, to strive to achieve or attain something in the face of difficulty or resistance. As moms, our instinct is to remove difficulty and resistance. That's my instinct, that's my reflex. I've gotta change my thinking. And if we do it enough, we can retrain our brain so that our reflex is not to jump in so that our reflex is to actually see the value of the struggle. There is a Native American legend of a man watching a cocoon, watching the butterfly emerge from a cocoon. I would love to see that. Um, I love like, you know, Animal Planet and stuff. And so uh, he was watching it and, and the, the caterpillar, well actually it was almost a butterfly. You could see the wings coming out and it was struggling to get out. And so he was watching it thinking, I'm about to witness this butterfly emerging from the cocoon. And then it just stopped and nothing was happening. And he thought, he can't get out, he can't get out, I have to help. And so he carefully opened the cocoon just a little. And then he watched a little longer and the butterfly came out but its body was still swollen, filled with fluid, and its wings were weak. So it walked around, no flying, walked around dragging its wings. Well, what the man didn't realize was that the struggle to open the cocoon is how the caterpillar moves the fluids to the wings so that the wings have the strength to fly. In an effort to help, he actually delayed the development, inhibited the development, hindered the growth of the caterpillar to the butterfly. So if we can imagine when our children struggle, if we see the value, if we, have, if we can fight the urge, fight the reflex and step back and see value in the struggle, we all want our kids to fly. We want our kids to soar. We want them to achieve. We want them to excel. 
We have to fight the urge to jump in and fix things for them. The benefits of struggle. Oh, I gotta read a verse here. Romans 8, 28. And we know, everybody say no. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We know that. We have to trust. That's why we don't intervene. He will use the struggle. He will use their mistakes. He will use these lessons to build their life for his glory and for their good. We know that. What are the benefits of struggle? Everybody, come on now. Our cheerleaders out there, I need you with me, okay? Everybody give me a G. G, growth, growth. We've already said that, physical development, emotional development, academic achievement, all of it. There's value in your child feeding himself, in your child learning to crawl, learning to walk, learning to get along with others, struggling socially on the playground. We need to allow a little bit of socialization sometimes, okay? We'll talk about that more when we get to uh, bullies and mean girls. If he can walk, he can work. You put them to work as soon as they can. It's not even work to them. They had fun taking the toys out of the box. Perhaps you can put on some music as they put the toys back in the box. Do a dance if you want to. If she can talk, she can speak for herself. Pause, fight the urge to jump in. Fight the urge to say, oh, he's shy. No, no, he's got a voice. You better help him find it and teach him to use it. And so we fight the urge to jump in. Resist that urge because we see it as opportunity to development. Now give me an R. R. Resilience. We were very fortunate that our kids went to Forest Trail Elementary School, the best elementary school on the planet. I'm sorry for everyone who has to attend others. But Forest Trail Elementary School had Angela Woodbridge for the music teacher who is now Titus II mom. But Angela started choir auditions in second grade for the choir program. And I mean, she still does it every year. And she gets emails, she gets letters, she gets parent protests. I will tell you that every year or every time my kid auditions for anything, goes in for a job interview, makes a presentation, I shoot her a text. And I say, I know that my kids are more confident because of what you did for them in second grade. Every year my kids went in for an audition, did their best, walked out. Sometimes they got it, sometimes they didn't but they learned there's just part of life. And failure isn't fatal. I don't always get the part, but I'm gonna try next time. It's just amazing. Joe auditioned every year for everything. He never got any part until his senior year. Now, this is a kid who didn't talk till he was three, um, sang his own version of most songs for a long time. But because of what she did in him, see, she taught him, I'll try. Maybe I'll get it, maybe I won't. And then he ended up his senior year being the lead to a sellout show. They had to do four shows. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. But I'm grateful. Don't intervene. Let your kids try out and not make it. Let your kids audition and not get the part. Create opportunities. Look for opportunities for that. It's hard to see them sad. There's value in the struggle. Identity. Give the eye. Oh, I didn't do give me an eye. Give me an eye identity. In working to build our kids' self-esteem, we rob our kids of self-confidence. I'm going to say it again. In order to build our kids' self-esteem, we rob our kids of self-confidence. 
Independence builds confidence. Joseph struggled to speak. He didn't talk until he was three. Not a word. I'm not exaggerating. That is true. I have video to prove it. So when he was four and five, very few people understood him. It was very difficult to sit back and let him try to communicate. My, my urge, my reflex was to speak for him. But I knew he was gonna grow into a man. He would not be a cute five-year-old forever. I knew it was necessary to help him find his voice. It wasn't easy, but it was necessary. So you know what I did? Every Friday, Chick-fil-A at the mall. I'm so selfless in that way. But um, this is what I would do. I would hand Joe a five, and I would say, go stand in line. He could barely talk now. And I would sit, it was safe, I knew where all the exits were. And I would say, go order. They're gonna think, you with another, they're gonna think you're with another mom and you're gonna have to talk loud and clear and you may have to repeat yourself, but you can do it. And I would watch him and the first couple of times he stood there, people went around him, they thought he was with another mom. And, and then I would watch him and I was like in tears. You know, I'm like, you can do it, you can do it. And I'm watching and I'm thinking, they're not gonna understand him. He's gonna have to repeat it but I think he can figure it out. And I would watch, and he did. I gave Emily, um, she liked, uh, it was a Japanese restaurant. She liked something, I don't know what, but she would have to, she had to learn lessons too. She was learning that she had to wait in line <laughs> and that not everybody there was working for her. She had to be kind. It was a great opportunity for both of them to develop and learn. Let your, particularly if you have a sweet, quiet, easy going, gentle, give them opportunities. Particularly if you've also got a strong one who speaks for them. Separate them and give them opportunity to find their voice and use it. And, and we love, you know, SWBs. And then tenacity. Oh, give me a T. T is for tenacity. I could tell stories all day about Emily and tenacity. Um, she actually was born with a you know, tenacious spirit. It's a wonderful thing if you've got a strong-willed blessing um, and they have that determination, that is a gift. You just wanna channel it, not change it. And so with Emily, the tenacity was her nature, but still as a mom, my reflex was to wanna to intervene when she was struggling. So she was a junior, uh, I think it was her junior year, she was taking AP Chem 2. Everybody take, who takes AP Chemistry 2 is going to medical school. Emily was not. She just loved chemistry and loved AP Chem 1, so hey, I'll try AP Chem 2. Well, um, it didn't go as she had hoped. And so she came home, you know, sobbing, and I have to drop out. And my, I was like, you're I understand, we will go to the counselor tomorrow. You can go talk to your guidance counselor tomorrow. And Matt came in and goes, whoa, whoa, no, no. If you started, you'll finish it. Is it too hard, like you cannot do it? And it, she said, I just, it's so hard. Well, see, school had come pretty easy to her. And so I said, it's gonna affect her GPA and she won't get into college. You know, I'm whispering in Max here when she leaves the room. It's gonna affect her GPA. She won't get into the college. She doesn't need the AP bump. She need to get her out of there. Um, and so he said, no, she started it, she'll finish it. And I'm like, and she would come in, I can't fit the information in my brain. She was 17. And I said, and I'm, I'm trying because I knew, uh, Mac wasn't even there and I'd be like, you can do it. Oh, I told him we should quit. And I told him, this is gonna be too hard. You know, and, and I was like, you can do it. You've got it. I told you, you know. And lo and behold, she takes the SAT, she takes the ACT. Guess what prepared her for those tests? 
that AP Chem too. She had learned the skill of taking a test where she didn't know every answer, do the ones you can, go back and do the other ones. That better prepare her. And all of her scholarships she got in college were from her test scores. She had a good GPA, but she aced those tests because she was allowed to struggle through AP Chem too. I almost pulled her out. I'm sorry, Emily. You can be thankful for Mac. So that's why we do. We've talked about what grid is, why we do it. Real quick, we're gonna throw out a few hows, and I'm gonna talk more about this later. So I'm just gonna address them real quick right now because this is gonna be throughout our entire semester. So how do we give our kids grit? Work to prepare, not to protect. We've already talked about that. Our reflex is to protect. We gotta change our thinking. My reflex is to protect. My responsibility is to prepare. I gotta focus on my responsibility. I have to wean my kids off of me physically. You had to wean them off. You have to do that academically. Start letting them take care of their homework as early as possible. Start letting them, if, if your middle schooler has a problem with a teacher or doesn't understand an assignment, say, well, you should set up a meeting with her. You should figure that out and get together with her. It's not my job. I aced middle school. You know, it's your turn, you know. So wean them off of you. Well, my child will fail if I didn't, you know, check. Well, it's easier to fail in sixth, seventh, and eighth, FYI, than it is, you know, at 35. So let, let's build in that weaning. Praise the process, not the product. This is actually the growth mindset. And I could spend five hours on this right here. So odds are this will be the fall curriculum <laughs> because I love this mentality. Growth mindset, the belief that the ability to learn or perform is not fixed, but can be developed through effort and hard work. It can be developed, you just gotta know how. You just gotta know how to develop. So here are some things to say. Instead of you're so smart, oh, you're so smart, you're so good at math, you say, you worked so hard. You kept going when you were frustrated. Learn how to compliment, learn how to praise. You stuck with it when you were discouraged. Instead of saying, you are such an athlete, you say, oh, I have never seen anybody work so hard out there. I've never seen anybody. You, you went out there and you practiced that free throw and, to, and I believe that is gonna help you in every game you ever play on. Do you see what I'm saying? Instead of saying you are this, say I noticed that you did this because this they can control. If you say you are smart, then the minute they fail a test, they go mom was wrong. She said I was smart, but I'm not. And so what I'm gonna do, if you put it over here, you work so hard. Now, if I fail a test, I realize it's within my control to try harder next time, to study differently next time. So boy, you start this early. You fix your mindset to a growth mindset so that you can prepare your kid with a growth mindset. It's not too late to turn the ship, but sure is easier to set it on the right course from the beginning. Praise the process, not the product. Teach how to think, not what to think. Teach how to think, not what to think. I was a first grade teacher and my degree is special ed, so this is reflex to me because um, I, I taught first grade. And so that is the age at which most kids developmentally are either working on reading fluency, comprehension, or they're just beginning. So I love this. I think you can change a kid's attitude and the way they work by teaching them how to think, not what to think. I also believe that about your child's relationship with God. You can teach them how to think, not what to think. 
Teach them where to go for the information. For instance, if a child says, mom, how do you spell cat? You go, well, how do you think you spell it? Let's sound it out. K, oh, you are so close. It's yes, K, write that. I bet I could read it if you wrote that. And so write, and you say, what do you think? Mom, what's eight plus four? What do you think it is? Let's figure it out together. Mom, where do babies come from? Yeah, go talk to daddy. Um, <laughs> but we try to teach them how to think, not what to think. If there's something you don't know the answer to, go, let's figure it out together. My dad is so hilarious, because any question you ask, he'll go, Google it. And so let, let's Google it together. Let's look it up together. Instead of giving them the information, teach them how to find the information. You're empowering them. Here's what we have to do. We have to remove the shame from struggle. We have to remove the shame from struggle. In Eastern um, uh, academics and in schools, they do it so differently than we are in the Western world. In the Western world, we would never get a kid up to do a problem on the board unless we knew the kid knew how to do it. We wouldn't want them to be embarrassed. We wouldn't want them to feel shame. Over here in other countries, they say, they call up whomever, probably the child who doesn't know how to do it. And they put him up there and they watch him. And he's not doing it, he's not doing it. And they ask the kids, hey kids, does he have it yet? No, and they're all working on it. There's no shame in the struggle. It's part of the process. And then finally he gets it, the whole class erupts. But there's no shame in the struggle. We have to change our attitude towards struggle to shape our kids' attitudes towards struggle. Last, give support, not safety net. Cheer your kids on, be your kids' biggest fans. I know you can do it, and I'm sorry you forgot your lunch, but I know our school will feed you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I know you don't love it, but you'll survive today. And you know what, when you get home, we'll work on what we can do to remind you tomorrow and we'll make a checklist to put by your bed, whatever it takes, but I believe in you. I know you can do it. What we don't realize and what we do unintentionally is we make our kids feel like they can't do it and like we don't believe they can do it. When I intervene, I'm encouraging the notion that it's too hard for you, that you're not really capable of it. But when I say, you got this, buddy, you got this, you can do it. Now he said, I remember my parents dropping me off. I'd gone to private school, to a Catholic school, a small school, all the way, well, from fourth, fifth, sixth. It was tiny. And I knew everybody because my mom taught there. And then they took me to public school, seventh grade. And I, I was horrified. I was horrified. I didn't know anyone. All my other friends went to the other public school. And I remember thinking, I, and this may be hard to believe, but I was painfully shy. No, I mean, I'm not even kidding. I was painfully shy. And so I remember thinking, they dropped me off, have a good day. I'm like, what? What are you doing? And then I remember thinking, well, they wouldn't let me do it if they didn't think I could. I'm so grateful they allowed me to struggle. I'm so grateful. You know what my job is now? Half the time when Mac is doing a wedding, when Mac is doing an event, I'm wandering around places where I don't know anybody, just acting like I belong there. Oh, hey, yeah, let's be friends. And that, but I believe that was developed because my parents allowed me to struggle. And I know for a fact now, my mom did not want me to go. She cried, she said, I begged dad not to make you go. I'm so grateful that when my mom's reflex, you know, was to protect, my dad said no. Our responsibility is to prepare. 
So grateful for that. Oh, we've got a great semester because we're gonna talk so much more about how to prepare. Next week is about bullies and mean girls. It is an excellent lesson, excellent, excellent, because I don't know if you are aware, but there are still bullies and mean girls around. I don't know, adults, but let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you, God, for the calling that you have on moms. I thank you for the blessing. I thank you for the responsibility. And God, I know I can come to you and thank you because I know you will give us what we need. We ask right now that you open our eyes this week to opportunities when we can allow development, when we can fight the reflex and we can let our kids get stronger. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Julie. Well, my youngest is about to turn six and she decided to give up sucking her thumb this past weekend. And though we've talked about it for months and she set her own stop date, she's ready and not ready all at the same time. And wow, the struggle is real. And so I've had the opportunity to think about um, where she's going to be once she gets through this. I've, got, I've had the opportunity to get comfortable with her discomfort <laughs> over the past few days. And I know she's gonna feel so proud, so mature, and so sick when her birthday rolls around next week. So I've had to really let her get through that. And that is hard. Well, good morning. My name is Julia Fortman, and every week after lecture, I'll come up and I'll lead us through a few minutes where we reflect upon what we've heard in lecture and think about how it applies to our lives. Um, We're really passionate here about helping you um, take the things that you hear here and then implement them back in the real world. Um, We're not blessed by what we hear here. We're blessed by the things that we take action on. And that is something that we're gonna start next week is our reflection. But today, since it is the very first day of the semester, we wanted to go over a little bit about our vision and values for um, our small groups. And we um, encourage all of the moms that come just for the lecture to sit and listen to this as well, because we know some of you meet for coffee after, some of you go to lunch, some of you have friends that watch the Fearless Friday videos that come out on email and you join them for dinner. And so we encourage you to take some of these Um, uh, part of our vision and imply it when you get together too. And we thought that we would record this for all of our online moms, for all of the churches and organizations that uh, implement our curriculum so that you too can hear a little bit about how we do things. So here at Lake Hills Church, we follow the Titus II model um, that uh, instructs uh, more experienced moms to offer support and guidance to our younger moms. In Titus 2, verses 3 through 5, it instructs, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so the word of God will not be dishonored. Our small groups are led by moms who are a step or two or three ahead in the mom journey. They're not here because they did everything perfectly, nor do they have all the answers, but they're here to offer support and guidance and to facilitate the conversations during our discussions. And we wanna spend, extend a special thank you to our Titus II moms because they're, they're here, their children are all in school or they've left the 
the house and their empty nesters, they could use their time to do anything they want and they choose to be here to support you. So thank you, thank you to our Titus II team. So Fearless Mom, um, Julie has mentioned it a bit, um, is a guilt-free, shame-free, judgment-free zone. And in order for that to happen, we do have a few expectations for our small groups. Um, and we encourage these expectations. Um, we encourage anyone that's watching online, if you uh, facilitate small groups, you um, can consider adopting those as well. So first of all, um, we, uh, we ask that our small group members um, ensure that all moms in the group have the opportunity to participate each week. So monitor yourself. Are you contributing too much or do you need to speak up? Just pay attention to that. Um, number two, we feel like it's important to build trust among our group members, so we ask that you hold things that are shared in your small groups in a sacred place and don't share them outside of your group. Number three, our Titus II team aims to facilitate sharing in a safe, guilt-free, no-judgment zone, and this means that we encourage each of you to listen to other moms with an open mind. You may hear something from a mom that you think, well, I would never do that, but when you get to her stage, I'm just gonna encourage you to consider that there is a possibility that when you get there, you might see things a little differently. So just be open to, to what is shared here. And most importantly, we encourage one another to embrace the responsibility of motherhood. We are passionate about helping moms focus on what they can do to be the mom they've been called to be. And we consider this time precious. So you'll find that our discussion questions will focus on the things that we can control. That's namely ourselves. Um, and so that also means that small group time is not a time for husband bashing or mom shaming, and it's not a time for business promotion either. Um, and if you're joining us remotely or you're watching uh, online, you can access our discussion questions um, through the link that's in the Fearless Friday emails that you get. And you're also welcome to join us online. We have a Facebook group where it's a virtual small group um, where you can connect with other moms who are following along too. So we hope that that gives you a little information about what to expect and how our vision and values play out in our small groups as we strive to help every mom enjoy life. Before we break, if you will, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for Julie. Thank you for every mom here and every mom listening remotely. Thank you for allowing us all to benefit from your favorite ministry, Fearless Mom. As we kick off this semester, please have her closely to each of these moms listening today. Give them each the grit she needs while preparing her children for the path, not the path for her children. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.